Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. So it is Mother's Day, and uh, sometimes on days like today, uh, people might expect some kind of one-off type of sermon on how to be a good mom or different principles for motherhood or something like that. That's not what we're going to do today, though. Um, we, uh, if you're wondering like how we set our preaching schedule and how we determine those different things, um, it's kind of set. Um, it's actually set a year in advance usually, um, sometimes even longer than that. And what we do is we walk alongside the material that our small groups actually walk through. And so um, our, our, our material is set for us and, and we just preach the next sermon. So next week we'll still be in John. We're, we're wrapping up this John series and then we're going to jump to the book of Jeremiah. Um, but today we're just going to continue on with where we've been in our John series it just so happens, though, that a lot of times whenever we do uh, this with our preaching schedule, it's, it's funny how often it just lines up with what's happening in our world. You know, like last week, we're talking about Jesus standing, standing before Pilate, talking about he's a, he's a different kind of king and a different kind of kingdom the day after uh, England just has this massive coronation event. Like, that's something that you can't plan, you know. Uh, I think the Holy Spirit is involved in that. And so, in this story, this morning, where we are in our series, we do see Jesus interacting with his mom. And, uh, but it's not your typical Mother's Day type of, type of text. It's a difficult text. Um, and I realize that Mother's Day carries kind of... Um, dual connotations some for some it's a it's a very happy celebration type of day others it's a hard day you know and, and today we see um, Jesus and his mom in a very difficult situation so John chapter 19 is the crucifixion of Jesus um, verse 25 starts by saying that they were standing by the cross and it, and it lists these four women there. One of them is Jesus's mom and she's standing by the cross. And so this whole scene is at the foot of the cross and, and we see a lot of interaction that's taking place between Jesus and those around him. And so just to catch you up, if you haven't been with us, like Jesus has been uh, arrested. His, one of his close friends betrayed him. A mob comes, they arrest him. He was put on trial last week. He stood before Pilate, the Roman governor, and, and they had this interaction there. And Pilate even says, I find no accusation against this man. Like he, he's completely innocent, but the crowd still shouts crucify him. They, they want to make a trade. Give us Barabbas. Give us the known insurrectionist, the known killer. Let's make a trade for Jesus. We want him killed. And Pilate says, he's innocent, Right? And so in this scene, he's been uh, beaten. Um, he's been flogged with the cat of nine tails is what they would have called it. Uh, it was this whip-like thing with all these leather pieces off of it that had metal and bone in the leather. They would uh, hit somebody across the back, uh, trying to tear the flesh off of, off of their back. Jesus was literally beaten within an inch of his life, exposing ribs, exposing vital organs before he is told to carry his own cross, march up to the place where they will crucify him, and then he's hung on a cross. That's, that's the scene of this morning, right? This is weighty. This is, this is heartbreaking. But 
in this text, I want us to see this morning, there's a lot of action that Jesus is doing. I think a lot of times uh, whenever it gets to like the betrayal of Jesus and the arrest scene and all that, we just kind of see Jesus as being just kind of helpless and just on the receiving end of everything that's happening to him, right? But John, one of his main points, and we talked about it a couple weeks ago in the arrest scene, that Jesus is in total and complete control the whole time, right? And so even in this scene, Jesus is hanging on a cross, but he is not just uh, reactionary to the things that are happening to him. Jesus is, is action. There's a lot of action that is taking place here. And today what I want us to see is the compassion and the completion of the cross, all right? The compassion and the completion of the cross. Before we jump into our text, I want us to pray and set our minds around what it is that, that the Lord wants to show us and teach us today. So if, I'll pray for all of us and you take this time just to pray for yourself and ask God to speak to you in this moment. Let's pray together. God, we just wanna uh, just come before you now and as we open up um, really the climactic event of all of scripture, the climactic event of human history, the the moment of, of your sacrifice on the cross for our sins. That's, that's what we're looking at today. Would you help us to see all that you desire for us to see? Would you help us to follow you and trust you? God, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as Savior, I pray, I pray that today is the day of salvation, the day that they repent and believe and trust in you as the only way towards salvation. God, would you help us? Would you help us to listen? We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, John chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 25 together. Verse 25. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. There's four women standing here at the base of the cross. It's interesting because there's four soldiers up in verses 23 through 24. John does that a lot. You have these four Roman men who are brutally killing Jesus, and then you have four grieving women who are standing at the base of the cross. John does that kind of thing all the time, but one of those women is Jesus's mom. Verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. And a jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had finished the sour wine, he said, it is finished and bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. All right, so we're gonna look at this again from the angle of the, the compassion of the cross and the completion of the cross. So first, the compassion of the cross. John says in verse 26, when Jesus saw his mom. When Jesus saw his mom. Like there, there's a unique bond between a, a son and his mom, isn't there? Would any guys here just testify that you are a mama's boy? Yeah, it's not something our society really likes to do, but there's a unique bond uh, between a son and his mom, and I'm sure between a daughter and a mom as well. I've just never been one of those, and so I would say there's a unique bond between a son and his mom. Like, she's the one that you run to whenever you need advice. She's the one that you uh, go to whenever you need help. She's the one that you go to whenever you're hurt. 
This past week, um, my son Ames, he's four years old. He's in the preschool at Second Baptist um, in Conway. And um, they had an event this past week that they called Muffins with Mom, uh, where obviously that's where moms go to the preschool and have muffins with their kids, you know. And they did the whole thing that you do in preschool where... Uh, Abby went and she had breakfast there with Ames and Ames had had all these little pictures that he made with his fingerprints and different, you know, all the little artwork and all the little mom gifts. And one of the things that they had was one of those sheets that you fill out, you know, that where they ask the kid all these different details about, about your mom. And it's usually some funny answers that they give and, and different things. One of the questions um, that Ames had answered, the question was, my mom loves blank. And he answered with work. And, uh, you know, Abby works from home, and so he sees her working from home and stuff. And, and, and she said, buddy, you, you did a great job filling out this form, um, but that one, I would change the answer to that one. My mom loves work. Do you know what I would change it to? And he just said, me, you know. And, and his arms, his eyes started uh, welling up with tears, and he started crying, and Abby told me that. I was like, bro, why are you being such a crybaby, you know? I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that. But he loves his mom. You know, there's a special bond between a son and his mom. And I'm sure that Jesus and Mary had that too. I'm sure that Jesus and Mary had that too. In fact, at the, at the wedding scene in Cana is Jesus' first, first uh, miracle in John chapter 2, if you remember that story, several weeks ago now in our series where, where Jesus is at the wedding, John chapter 2, and Jesus hadn't gone public with his, with his ministry yet. He was still trying to keep it concealed that he was the Messiah and different things. And so he wasn't doing a lot of Jesus-y type stuff yet. In fact, this event is kind of the thing that triggers his earthly ministry. And, and, and Jesus' mom comes to him and says, uh, they've ran out of wine, which is a problem at a wedding, especially in this day, uh, that, that if you run out of wine, it's an embarrassment on the host and all kinds of different things. And so Jesus' mom comes to him and says, They've ran out of wine. Can you do something? And he says, woman, my time has not come yet. And, and just so you know, the, the woman thing is not derogatory. It's actually a term of endearment that Jesus is saying. It's like, mom, my, my time hasn't come yet, you know. And uh, she, she kind of does that thing. I imagine she just kind of smiled at him and kind of gave him that look that moms have, you know. Not like the mean one, uh, not the you're going to die when your dad gets home look, but like, the, 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 the look of like, please, son, you know. And I imagine she just kind of winked at all those who were standing around and kind of smiled as she walked off and she whispered and she said, do whatever he tells you, you know. And, and Jesus does it. He turns water into wine. It's his first miracle here. Why does he do that? Because he loves his mom. He loves his mom, you know. And so on the cross... In the, in the midst of all the pain, he sees his mom. And, and she sees her son. Like, yeah, he's, he's the Messiah, and he's dying even for her, her own sins. But that's her boy. Like, the hands that have spikes driven into them are the same ones that she held as they walked the streets of Nazareth. The feet that have blood dripping off of them are the same ones that she used to set down and put his little shoes and sandals on. The forehead that has the crown of thorns driven into it is the same forehead she kissed goodnight as she tucked him in as a baby. Like, this is her, her boy. Like, imagine her pain. 
just helplessly watching her son suffer and die unjustly. Just after Jesus was born, a prophet named Simeon told Mary all that Jesus was gonna accomplish, and he also said this, a sword will pierce your own soul. In Luke chapter two, verse 35. And right now in this moment, she's feeling that sword. As Jesus is being tortured on a cross and she's watching her son, she's feeling the pain that Simeon told her she would feel. That's, that's her boy. And this is his mom. That's his mom. So now he's hanging on the cross, right? Blood running into his eyes. And he looks down and it says he saw his mom. So imagine the pain. Like not just physically. Jesus is under immense amount of physical pain. But, but the pain of looking down and seeing his mom hurting. Seeing his mom just in immense amount of pain. She's seeing something that a mom should never have to see. And in that moment, he wants to be sure that she's cared for. He wants to be sure that she has all that she needs. And so what he does is he asks his best friend, John, the writer, to take care of her, to take her as, as his own whenever he's gone, right? In the worst moment of his life, he shows care and compassion for others that's what Jesus does. He, it, not, not just the ones that he knows and loves who are standing there, but also he, he, he's, he's praying for the thieves who are uh, next to him on the cross. He, he's, he's asking the Lord to forgive those who are actually crucifying him. Like Jesus' care and compassion for others while he's on the cross is all over the place. The cross puts the love and compassion of Jesus on full display. John 15, 13 says, no, no one has greater love than this to lay down his own life for his friends, and that's what we see Jesus doing here on the cross. And it's interesting because his selfless compassion creates a new family. Like, the interesting thing about this to me as I was studying this week is why does he tell John? Why does he tell John to take care of his mom? Because Jesus had brothers. Like, Jesus had brothers, we know that. He was the oldest obviously, because his mom, you know, was a virgin whenever she had him, and so, but Jesus had younger brothers. Why not ask one of them to take care of mom? And we're not really sure. I started trying to study and figure out exactly what's going on there, and there's some different theories. You know, maybe it's, it's, it's because his brothers weren't believers at this time. They heckled Jesus. Uh, I think it's John 7, where they're heckling him, and not believers, and, and they're probably not even at the cross at this moment. Um, they will become believers. Acts 1.14, after the resurrection, there's a verse that says they were all continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So during his earthly ministry, his brothers don't believe in him, but post-resurrection, even his brothers do. Uh, his half-brother James uh, writes the book of James, right? And he will be martyred for his, for his faith. And so maybe the theory that I have on why he asked John and not his brothers to take care of his mom is, is maybe he knows that John's going to live the longest. Like John isn't going to be martyred. He's going to live to be an old, old man, um, but his brothers are going to be martyred. And so maybe, maybe that's it. We're not really sure exactly why, but, but we are pretty sure that his brothers weren't at the cross. And so in this moment, he looks down, he sees his mom, 
and he wants to be sure that she's cared for, that she's protected and she's provided for, that she has family. And so on the cross, Jesus takes those who love him but don't share blood and he makes them family. Do you see it? He makes them family. It's a picture of the church. It's a picture of of the church. Like we don't share blood, but as believers, we are made family by the blood of Christ. And his example on on the cross of care and compassion becomes our calling, right? Care and compassion for one another should be the thing that marks us. I've been reading this past week in my personal quiet time through the book of Acts. And like those people got it. Like everything here about care and compassion, being united as a family, that's what we see in the book of Acts. They actually lived and loved each other as family. They're sacrificing for one another, they're giving for one another, they're calling one another to deeper commitment in Christ. They're loving one another as family. And so if I could just ask for each of us, as honestly as you can answer it, is that what we have here? We have a family that's marked by care and compassion. Is that what you are committed to building? Are you a part of building a family here like Jesus is building that's marked by care and compassion for one another? To be honest, man, I, I don't know that I would say that. Not 100%. I, I've seen glimpses of it for sure, but I see a lot of disconnected just show up when we have time for it, half-hearted engagement. Like our small group attendance right now is pathetic at this campus. You know, like just as honestly as I can say it, like just half-hearted. We're not a family that's marked by care and compassion for one another. But I think he's calling us to it. So Jesus' action on the cross, he cared for his mom, He created a family, and he completed the job. So the compassion of Jesus, now let's look at the completion of the cross. Verses 28 through 30. When Jesus knew that everything was now finished, when he knew that everything was now finished, what what does that mean? What does that mean that he knew, right? Maybe it means all of the prophecy, Like all of the things that that were foretold in scripture that would happen, that Jesus has fulfilled, all of that. Maybe that's what he's talking about, that he knew all of that was now finished. See, atheists will argue that Jesus knew the Old Testament and, and because he knew the Old Testament, he could have just been doing all the stuff that he did to somehow like trick everybody, you know? Basically what they would say is he wasn't fulfilling prophecy, he was manipulating situations. Um, The problem is, is Jesus fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies during his life. 300. And so I'm not a math guy, but uh, mathematically, the odds of someone fulfilling just eight, just eight of those Old Testament prophecies is one in 100 quadrillion. Quadrillion's a lot, all right? You, You probably can't even comprehend that. That's a one with 17 zeros behind it. That's just eight of the prophecies. So 300, only God, right? Only Jesus could do that. John points out a couple of the things that are being fulfilled here in chapter 19. 
He talks about the soldiers dividing out Jesus' clothes in verse 24. Um, He talks about Jesus' side being pierced in verses 36 and 37. The interesting thing is neither of those things are are things that Jesus does, right? They're just happening in the scene. And they're not even stuff that was needed for atonement. Like they're not crucial to salvation that that the soldiers didn't tear Jesus' clothing, that they gambled for the different pieces. But, But it says that those things happened in order to fulfill scripture, right? Why? Well, it's there for proof. It's there for proof so that you and I would believe. I grew up going to this student camp um, in Oklahoma. Every summer, this church camp called Falls Creek. And uh, Falls Creek is, is a big part of, of my life. I absolutely love going. And whenever I was a teenager going, the director of the camp was a guy named James Lankford. <laughs> And James is now a United States senator, but at the time he was, he was the director of Falls Creek and he was and still is somebody that I highly respect and look up to. Like this dude just knows the Bible inside and out. Pretty sure like he's such a close relationship with Jesus. Like they share a walkie talkie and just like talk with each other. That's the kind of guy that, that James is. And I remember as a teenager at camp, I was reading in the book of John one morning and uh, I thought, I got a question that's either going to impress James or it's going to stump him, you know, and so I went and found him. I looked all over camp, found him driving around in his golf cart, and I went up to him, and I asked him, I said, hey, in in the book of John, it talks about how the Roman soldiers are are there at the cross, and it talks about how they they gambled for Jesus's clothing instead of tearing them, Um, and then it says that all that happened to fulfill scripture, so question, James, uh, does that mean that these Roman soldiers were like secretly Jesus followers and they knew the Old Testament and so they are actively working to make sure all the pieces line up and everything is fulfilled. I thought he's gonna be impressed with this. That's some deep stuff. And he just immediately said no. (laughs) Just shot down all my hopes and dreams. He's just like no. And he went on to explain that it was kind of the Roman custom to to do this and, and how they could actually sell clothing and make more money. And that's the reason they're gambling for his different different stuff and so he explained the cultural situation and he told me it was just really it was all about greed and selfishness that's the reason they're doing it the amazing thing is even more amazing than some Romans actually crucifying Jesus but are actually believers and they're working to fulfill scripture the amazing thing is is that it would that it was predicted and it happened it has no eternal significance other than the fact that these soldiers unknowingly and involuntarily fulfilled the precise details of the Old Testament without even knowing what they were doing, right? Without even knowing what they're doing. And there's no way Jesus could have manipulated that. He had no control over what the soldiers are doing down here. It's all the sovereignty of God in this moment. It's all, it's all his bigger picture that he's in the details. In fact, when that prophecy was written, it comes out of Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. When David wrote that psalm, he had no context for even what Rome is. Rome didn't exist. Crucifixion didn't exist. So it's not even like David was saying, hey, I know that the Romans, they divide clothes, and so I'm going to put that in there. No, all of this happened because of the sovereignty of God. The details and the proof in the Bible are amazing, right? Like, you don't have to check your brain at the door to come to Jesus. In fact, you need to bring it. 
and you need to engage it because this book is full of just deep stuff and it's all connected. And what John is saying here, whenever he tells us these details, is he's saying, there's the proof. I was there, I saw it with my own eyes, John 19, 35. I saw everything, it's all true, and I'm writing so that you'll believe. So that you'll believe that Jesus is God, that he is the savior of the world. And so maybe whenever it says that Jesus knew everything that was finished, maybe it was talking about all the prophecy. Or maybe it was talking about that he had finished all that the Father had sent him to do. That he had finished everything that he was sent to do, which, what is that? In short, it is the work that he's done to bring about salvation for mankind. That's the work that he was sent to do by the Father. Create a bridge Create a bridge that unites man and God again. And that's what Jesus came to do. And he's saying now that that job is finished. It's finished. He says two phrases. He says, I'm thirsty. Thirsty. And, and, and as I was studying this week, it's like, what's going on with that? Like, Jesus is about to die. Why does he need a drink? You know, he, he's minutes away from dying. Why does he need to take a drink? There's two reasons. The first is symbolic, all right? It's symbolic. John is telling us that they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a hyssop branch. I think this is amazing. John is the only gospel writer that mentions specifically the hyssop branch, right? So what is that? I started digging around, right? What, what, is, what is he talking about with this? The hyssop uh, is, is a bush that was, was used by the Jews in religious ceremonies and was used for purification reasons. So that's pretty cool. Maybe that's what John wants us to see. That's, that's the symbolic nature of, of purification that's taking place, but it's deeper than that. There's an amazing connection that's happening here and you gotta see it. Do you remember in the book of Exodus, the 10 plagues? The people of Israel are, are enslaved for 400 years in Egypt, right? The last plague that God sends was the plague of, of the Passover uh, of the angel of death that was gonna pass through. And every firstborn son that did not have blood spread across their doorpost was going to die. You remember that? It's, it's the Passover. It's what they're celebrating here during the week of Jesus' death. It's Passover week. It's whenever God spared all of the Israelite people because they had the blood of the lamb spread over their, their doorpost. In the instructions for the first Passover, you gotta see this, Exodus chapter 12, verse 22. God says, take a cluster of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin and brush the lintel and the two doorposts with some of the blood in the basin. Isn't, like, isn't that amazing? Now John is, is, is here at the crucifixion scene and John is painting a picture of the hyssop branch being lifted up to Jesus, the lamb who comes to take away the sin of the world, John 1.29, and his blood is dripping from the post of the wooden cross. The point is this, that he is the final Passover lamb to be slaughtered. There's no more need. In fact, during this day, it was preparation day. 
That's what it says here in chapter 19, that it was preparation day, meaning they're literally slaughtering lambs right now as Jesus is being crucified so that they can celebrate the Passover together. They're literally slaughtering lambs in this moment. And Hebrews chapter 10 talks about that Jesus is the final lamb that needs to be sacrificed. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins, sat down at the right hand of God. The point is clear, that Jesus is the final sacrifice needed. That God's wrath towards sin is placed on him and just like the Passover, anyone who, who places themselves under the blood of Christ will be saved. So symbolically, that's what's happening whenever Jesus says, I'm thirsty. They're lifting up the hyssop branch to the Lamb of God. His blood is spread across the wooden cross. One final payment, no more slaughtering of lambs needed. Practically, what's happening when he says, I'm thirsty, he's human. And he's facing a brutal death. So John has shown us the humanity of Jesus here. And he needed this drink of wine to moisten his throat, moisten his, his vocal cords so that he could shout out this final proclamation, it is finished. And the way that that's written is it is a shout of victory. It's not some like giving up or anything like that. He's saying it is finished. It's the Greek word to telestai, which means it is finished, it stands finished, and it will always be finished. Like in this day, a servant would tell his master to telestai whenever a job was finished. A priest would examine animal sacrifices and declare to telestai if he found it faultless and sufficient. And a merchant or a debt collector would say to Telestai whenever the final payment was made. And that's what Jesus is declaring here too. He's saying that the job is finished, the sacrifice is good, and the debt is paid. It's finished, it stands finished, and it will always be finished. That's what he means when he says that. I read this week about an evangelist named Alexander Wooten. And this guy comes up to Alexander Wooten and he asks him, he says, what I need to do to be saved? And Wooten looked back at him and said, it's too late. And just kept doing whatever it was he was doing. And the guy said, what do you mean? It's too late. Like, it's too late for me to be saved. There's nothing I can do. And Wooten said, it's too late. It's already been done. It's already been done. The only thing that you can do is believe. And listen, that's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. The work is finished. The gift is free. The invitation is to repent and believe. That's what John's writing this book for. He's told us multiple times. He tells us here in, in verse 35 of chapter 19 that he who saw this testified so that you may believe. He's wanting us to, to repent and believe in the good news of the gospel and be saved and find life. John 20, 31. So as we close, I know, um, I know that there's all kinds of different emotions in this room today, right? 
based on whatever kind of week that you had, based on however Mother's Day hits you, right? Again, Mother's Day, it can be an emotional day. For some, it's a reminder of, of pain. Either lost a mom or maybe you have a bad mom. You want to be a mom. Maybe you feel like a lousy mom. Maybe, maybe you've lost a son or a daughter like Mary has. I don't know what today is like for you or what kind of week you've had, but for me today, it's just good to talk about the compassion of Christ and the work that he's completed for me. I know that he loves me with the same love that he shows on the cross. And I know that he's done everything for me. He's completed it. Like I don't have to just white knuckle this, this faith journey. I don't have to just try and do more and be more and he's finished. He's finished it. In fact, if you constantly find yourself struggling with sin and just can't seem to kick that thing, whatever it is, the key to kicking sin is not just white knuckled effort, it's greater affection for Jesus closer you get to him. The more you look at this and see his compassion and the completed work that he's done for you, the more the more you draw close to that, the more those things you struggle with just get further and further away. Affection for Jesus. Seeing how he loves you daily stirs your affections for him. And before you know it, it's it's not as difficult to say no to that temptation. And then you look up and you've been so focused on Jesus, you can't even remember the last time that you even thought about that struggle or temptation. The Christian life is is not just do more, be more, try more. It's lean into the compassion of Jesus. Lean into his completed work for you on the cross and find life to the full. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.